welcome to iChat, a podcast series to deliver eye health information to the people of Northern Ireland. Brought to you by staff and students from Queen's University Belfast. Hello and welcome back to episode 5 of our ophthalmology podcast iChat. In this episode, we are privileged to have Dr. Emir Langell and Dr. Anne-Marie Coline joining us. Dr. Langell is a basic scientist working at QUB, and Dr. Coline is an ophthalmology resident at Erasmus Medical Centre in the Netherlands. Today, we'll be discussing age-related macular degeneration, the science behind it, and some current research. Dr. Coline, thank you for joining us today. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your work in ophthalmology? Thank you for having me uh, on your podcast today. I studied medicine at the Utrecht University in the Netherlands and afterwards moved to Rotterdam in the Netherlands where I did my PhD on age-related macular degeneration. In 2018, I started my residency in ophthalmology at the Erasmus Medical Center, also in Rotterdam. And my main focus of my PhD was on genetics and epidemiology of uh, age-related macular degeneration. Dr. Kuhlein, so you mentioned age-related macular degeneration. Could you please explain to our listeners what that is? Yes, of course. Um, It's a disease of the elderly where the macula is affected. This is the part of the eye that gives you sharp, straight-ahead vision. And with this part of the eye, you can see details. So the peripheral vision will still be okay, but it's very disabling because you cannot recognize faces anymore or be able to read or put a key in a lock because you cannot see it. And what are the most common symptoms of AMD? So there's an early form of AMD, which you can have no symptoms at all, or maybe, for example, reading in low contrast situation or situations or low luminance uh, gets more difficult. And there are two end stages of AMD. So with dry AMD, you s- slowly use your, lose your central vision. And with wet AMD, there are abnormal blood vessels that start to grow and they are of bad quality, so they start leaking. And when there is fluid in your retina, you get a vision loss, which is quicker for wet AMD than for dry AMD, and people may experience uh, metamorphopsia. So for example, if you're in the bathroom and you look at all the tiles, you see bent lines instead of, instead of straight lines. And are there any causes of AMD? There is not really one cause why people get AMD. It's a multifactorial disease and aging itself plays a major role. But also genetics and environmental factors play a role. Now that you're on your clinical duties as well, how do you incorporate your research into your clinical practice? So what we look at mostly is a lifestyle because that's um, the thing that people can change. So we know that smoking is very bad for you and um, causes AMD but also causes progression of AMD. So we advise people to stop smoking and we know that the um, risk for development or progression of AMD declines the longer you have stopped smoking. And we also advise people to stick to a healthy diet. So even if you have a high genetic risk of AMD, we know that you can eat away a lot of your um, genetic risk by um, eating, for example, green leafy vegetables such as spinach or um, orange and yellow peppers and fatty fish such as salmon, uh, which is rich in antioxidants and um, omega-3 fatty acids. And this seems to be very important. At the same time, we're trying to figure out if genetics play a role. And um, this is why we also do research in, uh, in genetic profiles of our patients. Dr. Langiel, thank you for joining us today. 
Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your research into AND? Hi, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to talk uh, with you. Uh, so I'm a basic scientist and um, I'm a biochemist by training and cell biologist, but I became very interested in clinical research or let's say translational research. So my work includes uh, work at the bench where we grow cells and analyze them and image them. But we also image patients. And the reason why this is important because the translation between what happens with a patient and how to treat them will require the this kind of transition where you can bring ideas from the bench to the bedside and bedside to the bench. Dr. Langill, we know that when we attend eye appointments, images of the eyes are taken. Could you tell us about this and how or why these images are important? In the past, uh, decisions were made basically looking into the eye with different lenses and uh, patients got their diagnosis but following them up was very difficult. These days we have cameras that can take within seconds really good images that can be stored and therefore we are able to go back and have a much more detailed uh, analysis of these images. And that allows us to have a better diagnosis, but also it allows us to follow the patients and see what kind of changes are taking place in the back of the eye with time. And therefore, these images are vital to uh, properly report any progression of a disease or any uh, treatment, any useful treatment uh, for the eye. So that's why it's very important that uh, we do as good images as possible and in timely fashion. Uh, and because it takes such a, a little effort from both sides, the patients are usually very easily um, accommodating these kind of images. And uh, even people like me, who is basic scientist and not a clinicians, clinician can take these images and analyze the images with, of course, supervision from the clinical staff. Some of our listeners might be wondering, is there any ongoing research or exciting advances relating to AMD? Well, where shall I start? Yes, there are lots of exciting uh, uh, research going on in age-related macular degeneration in many fronts. There are new cameras that are becoming more and more available uh, with very high resolution, much better specificity, and that means that diseases can be much better diagnosed. So imaging is uh, going through a revolution, and with the use of artificial intelligence, the um, analysis of these images are becoming much more readily uh, available. Uh, that means that not only in the clinic but also in a field, for example if you go to different countries where clinics are not that available or you go to, to homes, old people's homes or, or, or places where otherwise the patients wouldn't get to the clinic can be generated and followed up as, as I mentioned this is a very important element. So imaging is in a revolution uh, both because of AI and the developing uh, technologies. 
That's on the clinical side. Of course, we know more and more about uh, age-related macular degeneration. There is a lot of um, interest in genetic uh, correlation between the disease and what we see in the back of the eye. So that's a, that's a very uh, highly uh, contested area with some success uh, and more and more we know about the disease, the better these informations are going to be. In my particular interest uh, or at the area, really what we are seeing is that we are understanding more and more about the cells that are involved in the disease, like uh, the retinal pigment epithelium, which is uh, not that visible on normal camera, but OCT images can highlight what they do, and other imaging modalities can uh, now visualize the retinal pigment epithelium. So that's important for both the, the neovascular or wet AMD as well as the dry AMD. So therefore, uh, the transition between lab and clinic is, is becoming more and more fluent. In terms of the cells, uh, one of the one of the excitement in recent years, at least in our side, is that we discovered that um, under the retinal pigment epithelium, calcification develop in the back of the eye, and these calcifications are not dissimilar to the, to your tooth and, and 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 bone, and obviously you know that that you don't want a piece of bone in the back of the eye. But because of the appearance of these uh, bony material in the back of the eye, we now know that there is a, a, a so-called atrophy, which is the dry AMD, uh, is particularly triggered. Uh, well, when I'm saying that, uh, what it really means that there is more and more information between the association of these calcification or bony material and the, and the spread and appearance and spread of... Uh, um, uh, atrophy. It is becoming, it was very interesting recently, I was at a conference and this calcified uh, deposit in the back of the eye is becoming now a new uh, clinical uh, phenotyping uh, uh, criteria because of the acknowledgement that um, it leads to atrophy and that is really the the most highly contested area, whether we can do something about slowing down or preventing the the development of the atrophy of the cells in the back of the eye. So there is a lot of uh, new areas are opening up on the molecular level and uh, we are able to mimic these in model systems, uh, which is very exciting because that opens up new possibilities to develop previously uh, not really looked at uh, treatment strategies. Some of our listeners may have heard of wet and dry AMD, which you mentioned. What current treatment options are available for these two forms of AMD? So the wet AMD is uh, uh, due to the growth of vessels into the retina, and that damages the retina. These new vessels are very uh, immature, they leak, uh, they let uh, material uh, into the retina that will damage the cells. The dry AMD is uh, uh, basically the death of some of the cells, the so-called retinal pigment epithelium in the back of the eye, and that cell is, cell is very important to maintain the health of the photoreceptors, the cells that are sensing the light. 
So they are two different mechanisms, and therefore the treatment is different. The wet AMD, because it's new vessel growth, if we can stop these uh, vessels growing uh, or we can make them uh, reverse, then we can save sight and we can slow uh, any progression of the disease. In the dry AMD, it's a little bit more complicated and to be honest we don't yet fully understand the whole process. What we know is the uh, one of the part of the our immune response to um, in the in the eye is uh, involved in this this process and currently there is one uh, clinically approved drug that slows the progression of the cell death retinal pigment epithelial deaths um, and there are others in clinical trials so the jury is still out because we don't know whether the slowing of the cell death actually improves vision but there is a good hope that we will have much better understanding soon and better drugs to treat it Thank you both very much for taking the time to speak with us. It's been extremely interesting. Lastly, before we go, where can our listeners find more information about AMD research? There are many uh, sites that uh, patients can turn to. Basically, you type in the website, uh, search AMD. But the uh, most useful information, not not most useful, the, the, the most directly available uh, is through the uh, Macular Society uh, website. Macular Society has very good information on their website and they have local branches where uh, uh, people who are interested in or suffering of age-related macular degeneration can turn to. So I would definitely suggest those who are interested in to find the, the local Macular Societies and they are really a rich source of information. Thanks very much for that. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Please stay tuned for future episodes of our ophthalmology podcast, iChat. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe to the podcast series to hear more. iChat is supported by the Queen's Annual Fund.